0: I'm Stuart Brand. This seminar about long-term thinking is brought to you by the Long Now Foundation. If you would like to see high-quality videos of the talks in the series, including this one, they are available online for Long Now members at longnow.org. Good evening, all. a uh, few returners here and a few new people. This is the second in uh, the seminar series on long-term thinking, we did last month. On the 2nd-3rd then it was Brian Nino, you know, who didn't give a talk all evening. And tonight is Peter Schwartz, who will give a to talk tomorrow night, also at Fort Mason. Uh, this is the card which is being handed out there, and is uh, also working here. So this is the version of the introduction of Peter Schwartz, who was a part of the law now, the very beginning, and the county director's... And he and I go back the long way, he was actually involved in the earth catalog after I stopped being And I was a little bit And then we worked together in founding Global Business Network uh, back in the 80s and we've been in groups ever since. The um, standard work of scenario planning for Peter's Yard of the Long View. That's the title tonight, the Yard of the Long View. And there's most recent book and one that is, I find, very interesting to read. It's called The Medical Surprises. And it is, uh, what was it, the head of the NSF? Uh, well, but, but, um, what was the occasion there? Uh, well, I can't say it, but we were having dinner at a, uh, a committee
1: that we're both members of. And she was in the middle of the room and She came up. And, uh, we were having a discussion around the dinner table about big, important issues. And she says, no, I just... I read a really interesting book. You read this book, Inevitable Surprises? Oh. <laughs> One of my staff directors gave it to me. The, the, the director of the NSF, we were all I said, I was just really go to get involved. It's just a book, I was very, well, the others at the table do. Oh. Much laughter. Uh, um, uh, 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 Frankie Fitzgerald, Francis Michel, the writer. A
2: mm-hmm.
0: So uh, Peter is also one, besides one of the great speakers and writers, one of the great facilitators. This would not give you that kind of thing. Uh he's got the beginnings of his talk for tomorrow night, and the um, plan is to run through that and then uh, talk about this. Or? Well, the way I thought about doing it,
1: but I'm, I'm quite open-minded. I've got a fairly detailed outline, but a lot of what's in that outline will be very familiar to a lot of people here. Uh, and where I might need to expand on some points to a, a more general audience, there's stuff that's, you know, I think, for everybody in this room will have thought already about and have considered in some ways. So what I thought I might do is to just kind of quickly walk through the outline in a kind of topical sense and, and say, here's what I plan to talk about without actually talking about it too much detail and then invite us to go back and sort of unpack those in a conversational way rather than in a lengthy speech. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the slides are kind of a topical set of headings, if you will, that, that, that kind of are markings of the headings more than anything else for the, the, the outline of my talk.
3: The, the one thing I would to do with this group in particular is don't just tell us what you figured out. Tell us what you haven't figured out. Oh, I've got a lot of questions. And I have more questions than i had got answers. So uh, that's for sure.
1: So I'll, I'll, I'll go up here if that's okay. Um, I, I must say, I really enjoy preparing for this. Uh, uh, Danny and Stuart and Kevin and, and Ryan have actually seen me speak many times. Um, but I, and I, I rarely get nervous, and, except when I'm talking to friends. <laughs> you know, and I, mean, I, I, I talk audiences of 5,000 people and it you know, don't work but when I you know whether it's Stuart or Danny or Kevin you know, it, it matters a lot in ways that it doesn't when you know it's an anonymous audience out there uh, but the, the, the question really led me to uh, what I, I really enjoyed the thought process and the homework for this uh, so I don't know if you'll enjoy it but I did uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, the 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 first question I, I wanted to address was the question of sort of why bother? You know why bother doing long term thinking? And, and and you kind of have to answer, answer that question yourself anyway. But it, it seemed fairly obvious just at the most mundane level that you know it's about making the world better. But then I asked myself the question of what's better? Uh, better in a personal sense, i.e., materially and uh, spiritually and the, the inner life and the, out, the external life. But the more interesting question is better in a social sense. And there it led me to one very interesting idea. And that interesting idea uh, is that, uh, you know, and you discussed this at the last session, the, you know, the notion of better means more options for the future. But the way it in fact it came to me was that we need to leave the future better than we found it. Um, and that we may be one of the only generations in modern history that is leaving the future worse than we found it. Um, and, and that idea of leaving the future better than we found it is a theme I'm going to come back to. Because one of the things that we've been doing, in effect, is destroying the future. Um, and, and I don't mean that... By that I mean people's perception of the future, not necessarily literally destroying the future. What people believe about the future. Because that's the future that exists today, is what we believe about, it, not... I don't mean in a literal sense that there's a kind of you could travel in time to the future. What I do mean is that we have an image of the future, we have ideas about the future, we act on those ideas. And what we have been doing in recent years is destroying the future. Uh, And so the question is, can we get to the point of, in a sense, in our generation, and I think that's a challenge now because we're in the hole, is uh, can we leave the future better than we got? And that's the, the kind of core theme um, and that leads to the question of, uh, you know, can you do anything about it? If you want to make a difference, you know, the, the, does what the, what humans actually do make any difference? You know, or is it just simply the accidents of global time, and you know, things get better. Well, that's just fortuitous, and if things get worse, well, bad luck. Um, and that's uh, one way of thinking about it. And I think the answer depends on your view of history. Um, you know, in, in the sense that, Brian, then, how long is your now and how big is your here? Uh, uh, it also depends on your time frame. And I think that's very, very important. A uh, time frames measured in a few years lead you off to the conclusion that things get worse. But te- time frames beginning to be measured in decades and centuries almost inevitably lead you to the conclusion that things are getting better. Um, you know, you, you, it, it's, it's not hard to look back over the last centuries and millennia and say, gee, you'd much rather believe living today than in 1400. You'd much rather be living today than even in 1890 or 1900, Uh, think about going to the dentist in 1890, Mm you know, just one thought experiment, uh, you know, and what that might mean. Uh, And uh, an old uh, friend of both Stewart's and mine was a guy named Dick Raymond. Still remember Dick. Uh, Dick uh, created the Portola Institute, which was one of the early homes for the whole of catalog organization. And Dick said something very wise a number of years you know, ago. He it doesn't take 50 years, it is worth doing. Um, more recently, said 200 years. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, the, you start thinking quite about questions differently if you start saying, well, what am I going to do in the next 50 years, as opposed to next 5 years, or the next 200 years, instead of the next 5 years. Uh, and you come to different... Answers and, and then there, there was a wonderful case kind of study. There's a historian that I'm a big fan of, uh, that Stuart knows uh, as well, Neil Ferguson. Uh, Neil wrote a recent book called Empire, but he's also a master of something called virtual history. You know, so what if it had been different? Mm-hmm. And he wrote a brilliant book uh, called The Pity of War. The Pity of War is about World mm-hmm. War One, and uh, he makes a very uh, a dramatic hypothesis, and it is that uh, the world would have been better off if Britain hadn't entered the war uh, and Germany had won. Uh, what would have happened? Well, you would have unified Europe, you would have the European Union 50 years earlier. It might have been slightly German-speaking, but nevertheless, it would have been the European Union. Uh, if Britain's empire would have survived, and in his view, this is a good thing, uh, Britain, the British Empire was a good thing a civilizing force in the world uh, instead of killing off you know, 600,000 British young men and squandering his fortunes on the war why he would have survived and persisted and managed the gradual decline of colonialism far more thoughtfully, no thoughtfully there would have been no depression, no fascists no Hitler, no holocaust blah 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 uh, so an you know, interesting thought experiment about what a belief system of the British leadership led them to do Necessarily, go to war with enormous consequences. Well, they might not have. They might have a different belief system, and the 20th century might have looked very different. And, and, I, and I think it's just an example of what I mean by the kind of, you know, thinking of, the, of this sort. Uh, I was struck by uh, Brian's categories last month. His talk of pessimists, Pollyanna, I course that is come down as He calls Pollyannas. Uh, uh, I consider myself a kind of realistic optimist. Uh, if I look at the last 1,000 years, you know, it speaks things are really well. Um, that level in the last 100 years, they've still gone pretty well, relatively speaking. Uh, now, the, 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 the thing I want to do is also reflect a little bit on, on uh, how do you think about the long term, not just simply what is the long term. And um, I began with trying to step back from scenario planning. Scenario planning is a tool that I've helped popularize. Um, and say, what is generic about the thought process that's involved essentially all kinds of thinking about the future? Mm-hmm. And, and there is a, a kind of generic, if you will, that sits behind it. I would recommend, by the way, if you didn't see it, a very good op-ed piece by uh, Phil Bobbitt uh, in the New York Times on Monday on why we use scenario planning for national security in the White House and so on. Uh, but I'm not going to go into all of that at the moment. But every view of the future is based on the following elements some idea about long-term dynamics, how and why things happen as they do. Uh, Some way to play out those dynamics over the long term uh, and validate those theories. Uh, Some way to see the consequences of those dynamics, what happens when they play out over the long term, and then to use those insights to guide present choices. Every method that I can think of, thinking about the future, in one way or another, has embedded all of those four elements. They're you know, developing a kind of model, if you will, that then leads you to lead to of various forces, see how the forces play out, and then think about what that means. And you can do that in more or less sophisticated ways, but that's the core of every method for looking at future. Uh, so I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to go back to reflect on that. Uh, so, I have a basic theory. Uh, and the basic theory is this, that in the long run, Humanity is involved in a constant struggle to create human systems that help us avoid killing each other too much. <laughs> a little bit is okay. Sometimes it may be necessary. Uh, that help us avoid exceeding the ecological carrying capacity, give meaning to human life, and enable us to do great things. So that's what human s- systems are about. Those four things: we don't kill each other too much. We live within our ecological boundaries. We're not. Uh, we have essentially a meaningful life and we can do really worthwhile things. Now, pictures of those four? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. great things, meaningful life, you know, cause not kill each other too much, ecological carry capacity. Uh, so my hypothesis is very simple, is that over the long run, it's powerful and sometimes even good ideas that have been humanity's uh, most powerful weapons. That in this struggle. And in fact, that, that's a lot of what you talked about in the last seminar, is the power of ideas. Um, and that's really where I want to pick up, is on the power of ideas. Um, and uh, then, in fact, where I'm going with this is with what are the ideas we need for the future? Okay? What can we see today that tell us about the important ideas tomorrow that we don't now have? And, and, and it turns out I think you would be useful to say something about that. Of course, it's not a new idea. I mean, you know, Hegel, who and lots of other people have, have done this for a long time, um, you know, looked at the history of, of ideas and their impact on human affairs. Um, you know, these are ideas about uh, nature, ideas about how society ought to be organized, ideas about ideas, about the nature of human beings, and so on. And, you know, we have a long list of these from history. Uh, I, I, I was struck by um, a, a Stuart, uh, he, how old is that one, Stuart? Uh, this one was about five years old.
2: But I mean, replicated And we would
0: think that it's probably on the order of 40,000 to 80,000 years old. And the earliest edge tools that the must have made the back two and a half million years. Uh, edged on both sides in a million and a half years. Yeah, we,
1: we have the, the first example that we have seen <laughs> of, 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 of ogre mining uh, forty-two thousand years ago, for making pigments. I mean, you picture this guy, you know, forty-two thousand years ago, right? You know, sitting around the cave with some water and some hematite and some ochre and some, you know, chalk and charcoal and mixing up the colors for the first time. So, you know, wow, I'm going to put these together. Put things on the walls. Okay, I mean, that was a big leap, you know, from you know, just scribbling and scratching on the wall, putting all those pigments together and seeing that you can do something different. I, I don't know how many of you have seen some of the great painting sites, but it's just, huh! And, and even if it's fake Lascaux, Lascaux is totally cool, you know, and you come away and say, wow, the consciousness that was behind those is not very different from my own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these were tens of thousands of years ago, and yet there's a, a minded work that you can completely relate to in seeing those paintings. Uh, The first counting device 37,000 years ago, tools 40 to 50,000 years ago. Then we get to stone building blocks around 10,000 years ago in Persia and India. And very interesting to observe, because we now get a bunch of things happening at the same time. We have bow and arrows, agriculture in Asia about that time, 11,000 years ago, domestic sheep in Iraq about 8,700 years ago, 8,700 B.C., pardon me. Very important thing has just happened, historically, climate change at that moment. We had global warming. Civilization begins with global warming. It may end with global warming, but it begins with global warming. Um, and that is, you can settle down, you can do agriculture, you can build towns, and you can build cities. You finally get to around 5,000 B.C. But in the absence of global warming, we don't have civilization. Uh, so it's very important to keep you know, global warming in the appropriate perspective. Writing, about 3,500 in Sumer, hieroglyphics. The wheel in Mesopotamia, about 3,000 B.C. Uh, the afterlife in Egypt, about the same time. Uh, Hammurabi, 1790 B.C. and, and the first laws. Um, monotheism. When did monotheism begin? What? 1000 B.C. Uh, Amenhotep, mm-hmm. the god Atom. Um Yes. The Amenhotep Fourth actually. Uh, the, the first recorded um, uh, the, the sighting of a single god. Often, you are the one god. Um, now, some civilizations get unlucky. They develop a lot of good ideas, but then they go away. Minoans are a good example. They lived in the wrong place. The volcano got there. Yeah. Great ideas, bad luck. That can happen. It can happen to us, too. It's, it's, it's an interesting you know, set of pictures. For us, it may not be the volcano. maybe the asteroid. But, you know, just an interesting lesson from history. And another one that, that, that really struck me as I began to think about it is that cosmology matters in the long run, right? I mean, it really does matter. You think back to the geocentric world and what you could do, what you imagined you could do. Heliocentric, the things began to change suddenly, and you could imagine—you imagine flying on the planet, right? You couldn't do that in the geocentric world. See? Huh. Then we get the universe, right? We get solar systems, galaxies, many, many galaxies. Now we're into multi universes. We've thought about you know, intergalactic travel, inter-universal travel. What's a space for going into another universe, right? The laws of physics are different. Mm-hmm. Interesting question, what happens in the inter-universal world? Uh, mm-hmm. So, in, in the long run, I think cosmology actually does matter a lot, a lot the ideas we have about how the universe works. Mm-hmm. As I began to think about this, I happened to pick up uh, also a new book, uh, which I don't think is a very good book, but it has something very interesting in it, which is Charles Murray's new book, The uh, uh, human accomplishment, uh, in which he tries to look at where lots of good ideas come from, um, and who did, who did them, men, women, blah, 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 all over the world. And not surprisingly, it becomes a defense of dead European white males. Uh, that's basically what it is. It's, it, 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 you know, Murray's classic kind of counter-PC thing. It really was the dead European white males. Uh, it really wasn't women. It wasn't blacks. It was not you know, the whole was talking about meta-ideas years ago. Yeah. Oh, it's not the, the idea of meta-ideas isn't new. But then he came up with a list of what he called meta-inventions. By that he defined the, the list as those things that generate other things. Okay. Uh, and it's a pretty good list. I, I like the list. That so I, I was the best thing in the book. And the whole section on it was the, exploring the origin of these ideas, you know, artistic realism, polyphony, grammar, meditation. And there's a couple that are missing from the list that did just ran out on the page. Uh, I like uh, the mathematical proof, the calibration of uncertainty, uh, the secular observation of nature and the scientific method, and the rest of it on that list. But I thought it was an interesting list and gives us again a clue for the kind of ideas we want going forward. Now, when I talk about the realm of ideas, what I mean is uh, not, you know, instinctual behaviors. Divinely endowed king versus top dog of the tribe. You know, agriculture uh, versus hunting and gathering. You know, if we actually sit down and figure something out, you know, the story to tell. And, yeah, he, Kevin is the king because his father was the king. And the king came down from heaven, and, you know, and heaven means this. And that means that Kevin has the right to rule, as opposed to Kevin's meanest kind of guy who tries to beat the shit out of anybody. Very different thing. You know, um, so, what we're really interested in, then, are powerful ideas. And also, uh, maybe even good ideas. Now, powerful ideas are ideas that ideas, uh, persist persistent spread over centuries. But not all powerful ideas are good ideas. I'll come back to that. Uh, sometimes uh, they compete, they cooperate with each other, and sometimes they compete with each other. Powerful ideas, for example, are science and technology, which mostly cooperate. Mm-hmm. Scientists discover new principles that lead to new technologies that lead to new discoveries in science, and so on and so on. So they cooperate. Science and religion mostly compete for belief, for power, for uh, explanation, and so on. Uh, but they're both powerful sets of ideas. Uh, evolutionary powerful ideas, we talked about this last time, increase options. And uh, that's the, you know that's basically one of the definitions of being powerful, that it tends to increase of. But powerful ideas are not always good ideas. Uh, and bad ideas can be also very powerful. Uh, now, a not very powerful bad idea, I remember when I was a kid comic books, I back. A, 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 you could order a book about the Hollow Earth. You, you remember the Hollow Earth, right? That's where the flying saucers came from. UFOs is mm-hmm. the Hollow Earth. They did a the whole hole in the North Pole, where they, where they and that's where it all came from. This is a bad idea, but never took hold. You know, uh, unlike many other bad ideas that have taken hold, like fascism, uh, like um, the cultural victimization in the Arab world, uh, like uh, the Final Solution, uh, Maoism, uh, colonialism has an interesting history because, you know, uh, it tells us a lot about what happens to ideas that, yes, it might have made sense, you could make an argument, but it clearly became a bad idea. And how did it go away? Well, it went away because people stopped believing the idea and defending it. Uh, uh, ideas that are powerful can become weak when you stop believing. Uh, and colonialism is a perfect example of simply stopping believing. Communism, what happened? You know, there was no war, you stopped believing it, and it went away. Uh, and it says something about the nature of such powerful ideas. I think a, a really interesting bad idea right now is that what the French believe about 9-11. You know, it was the CIA that did it to the Pentagon. Uh, it's astonishing. Uh, good ideas, on the other hand, uh, improved a lot of their human hosts, increase options, and help humans adapt. And they're also affirmed over the long, uh, over a very long period of time. You know. They also have been powerful. Science, art, law, those are all examples of good ideas. that are powerful ideas. So where do ideas come from? Uh, well, they come from a variety of places, but uh, one is that they come from other ideas. There's path dependency. Um, and and then we don't have to worry anymore about what the ur-idea er was. You know, somewhere back there, there was the idea, and or ideas, and we've kind of gotten past We now live in a world that's rich with ideas, so we don't have to worry about the ultimate origin of ideas. But we do think about the pathways of the ideas going forward. You don't get the molecular biology without doing biology and chemistry. So the path dependence is important. Uh, another place ideas come from, are the problems that we have, are we have to solve, whether it's being ourselves or right, heat, or light, or why things happen the way they are. Uh, tools, very important part of what happens. So ideas, you know, uh, you couldn't have gotten Einstein without uh, the mathematics that he had at his disposal. He couldn't have gotten uh, the recent discoveries of the accelerating expansion of the universe without the Hubble telescope and so on and so on. The tools matter. And I think one of the things that we can be confident about, so I'm not going to spend any more time on it, is that over the very long term, our tools will get much, much better. Um, our conceptual tools will become more complex, more sophisticated, more subtle and so on. Our physical tools will look at us a little further, faster, smaller, more dimensions, and so on. So I think one of the important kind of foundational ideas is that we will see continual progress in our ability to both think and perceive, we think about perceive reality in ever more complex and more subtle ways. And there's a wonderful book uh, that I just finished uh, that kind of gets at the core of this, uh, Einstein's uh, Clocks and pulp Maps, um, have you seen it? I haven't read it,
3: I've
1: a it. By Peter Gallison. It's a lot of fun, and it, you know, it basically gets at how these ideas come together. Um, so then we want to think about long-term challenges, and, and here uh, one of the things that I, I always use, and it organizes what I'm about to, 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 to go through, is Paul Ehrlich's equation, the environmental impact equals population times affluence times technology. How many people you got? Uh, how well they live, and with what technology. And that tells us a lot about the future. But all three of those variables say a lot about what the long-term condition of the human society is likely to be. Uh, well, it, it depends on whether it's one over a, or I mean, it depends on how you want to frame it. But. So then I started thinking about each of those terms. And you can think about different worlds Okay, at four very different population levels, they have very different implications. One is much bigger, 50 to 100 billion people. Okay, on the planet, that's approximately, by the way, what the world would be if the world was as dense as Europe is today.
4: Okay. So think about every place on the planet that is Switzerland. Okay.
1: Well, Switzerland is beautiful and pleasant. I mean, it's but every place is like Switzerland. Nobody small. small. What? Right? Nobody would smile. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, France or, you know, the Netherlands or the UK, but the whole planet looks like that. That, That's what it would take to have roughly 50 to 100 billion people on the planet. Uh, Every place would be developed. Every square foot would look like it. The next scenario is sort of like today, one to two billion people. Somewhat, maybe a little bit less, but on the order of a few billion. Another is that you really do get the crash, and it's down to, you know, a few million one, two, three million. Very different. Everybody's got hundred thousand acre haciendas, or we're back to primitives. Uh, and then of course the last one is zero. We're gone. Um, and that's a scenario that you know that's also plausible in the not-too-distant distribution. Uh, another big question that poses an interesting problem. Well, what's human nature? Is bad behavior the result of evil or poor mental health? Right? It tells you a lot about the future. Was Hitler evil or safe? Two very different questions. If, it, if he was sick, then the answer is better mental health, right? And you can imagine solving that problem. Right? You can imagine solving the problem: of better mental health over a thousand, two thousand years, having healthy people. On the other hand, if it's about good and evil, it's going to be around for a long time. God and Satan are going to be battling it out for the next millennium, ten millennia, hundred millennia. Completely different problem. Mm-hmm. Completely different interpretation. So, important question: which? How does that play out? You know, we been in a struggle over the last thousand years for on that question. Before that it was all about the need medieval men. And that leads to the other another big related question is are we in a future of reason or faith? Mm-hmm. Um, you can imagine a world mainly of faith, a world mainly of reason, or worlds of both reason and faith, mm-hmm. which is where we are right now. There even some good science fiction. I don't know how many of you read Hyperion. You know, in which the Catholic Church is a very important actor in our distant future. And, interestingly so. Interestingly so. Uh, and, and how the world can be combined of reason and faith in a reasonably popular way. And that led me to the question, the really big question, was God a good idea? You know? and, 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 by the way, my answer is no. Uh, it's certainly a powerful idea. It's a very powerful idea. And maybe a Western idea. I mean, you don't really have God. The you Tao know, is not God. You know, it's, it's. I mean, the kind of, you know, thou shalt God, as opposed to God is imminent in all things. And you know, uh, Buddha wasn't God, and, and even the Hindus, it's really different. It, this is really a Western thing, the God, the monotheistic God that we all think of as God. Um, and early on, maybe it was a good idea, you know, help produce good behavior, thou shalt not kill, etc. Um, but God, even then, did a lot of smiting, and still continues to with non-believers um, My son just had a bar mitzvah. And it's been a while since I've read the prayers carefully. You know, the Shabbos prayers, the Sabbath prayers. You know, it's a lot of smiting going on on the Sabbath of the non-believers. You know. um, about every other line is, you know, if you don't believe in me as the one true God, you're fucked. Uh, and that's a good part of the Friday night service and the Saturday morning service is you know, you know, smiting non-believers. And that meme has continued on pretty well for the last couple thousand years. Um, now, of course, if you think it's a constant struggle of good and evil, then you need to recapitulate this every generation. and God's a good idea, and you know, it helps ensure all these people who would otherwise be miscreant bad behavior. And, you know, thou shalt this generation, too. Another big problem we have, another big idea we need is uh, citizenship and governance in mega-societies. Uh, we know how to be citizens. You know, like the mayor, the, the, the election this time was really great in San Francisco. I thought it was really wonderful. Uh, and there was a very strong whatever what you think about the outcome of the election. But there was a real sense of the city being engaged in this thing right from the beginning. There was a real diversity of, of candidates, of history, of culture, of playing out. And it had a kind of democratic vitality that I haven't seen recently in, in elections. It was a very rich election.
5: <laughs> that had its own weirdnesses. Okay. But yeah, you can, you can, you know...
1: It had a democratic background. Yeah. Yeah, yes, it did. It did. It had its weird overtones. That's all I'll say. This one was nice and pure. It had a, you know, a kind of a pristine beauty of modern democracy in its best. Um, and youth. What? You. And youth. And so, youth. Yeah, that, that was part of it too, I think. But, you no, know, how do you relate to a country of 300 million people? How do you relate to a, a planet of 6 or 7 billion people? How do you create citizenship and governance in, you know, societies of that scale? Um, Europe may be doing a much better job than we are in that respect in creating a new models in the European Union, and that may be something interesting to talk about. Um, another one that I think is a really big one is uh, how do you build countries and how do you fix broken ones? We're trying that experiment right now <laughs> to find out that's in the hard way. Uh, the we also need the equivalent of. Uh, the rule of law uh, that we have for organizing human relationships for organizing human relationships in ecosystems, ecosystem. We don't have the equivalent of the rule of law for ecosystems. Uh, you know, we've got ideas like sustainability which we don't know very much about. Um, uh, we don't really have a very good set of, of, of really deep ideas about how human beings operate to their environment that have the kind of power that the rule of law has. This is a powerful idea we desperately need, and it does not now exist. Um, and history tells us that conflicts, the most common source of conflict is when we seed our ecosystems. Stewart has another book there that we just set up the community book club, Constant Battles, which is all about that. Uh, and it's a terrific book. It's like Guns, Germs and Steel. It's one of those things that changes your view of human history. The but the, the, the fundamental point is that the constant battles are uh, us pushing up against our ecological limits. Uh, so we need th- – this is, I think, one of the biggest ideas we need. Uh, there's other things, but the one the areas that I also want to mention before I get to the very end, I've got about two more pages and has not done. There are big questions in science and technology. The, the ones I've been dealing with so far have been about the human condition mostly. Uh, about the affluence side, the, the, what it means to be people. But there are at least five areas uh, that you can see that would have very different consequences for the long term, depending on how they turn out. First is, what's our degree of control of matter, energy, and biology? If you have a high degree of control of those, one kind of future, and if we don't, and I believe that that's kind of inevitable, that it's increasingly a matter of choice. But the time frame matters a lot. You know that, that what happens to matter, energy, and biology with matter flows. The second uh, area, and this is a, a, an issue for the next several hundred years, uh, understanding the long-term and short-term climate dynamics. Uh, as Stewart knows, uh, I am very much concerned about the abrupt climate change that we may be headed into an era not of global warming but rapid cooling. And that the really big issue is global cooling and that you will be under the glaciers, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry. Um, yeah. And when, the, yeah, that, that, that's what will trigger the cooling, is the melting of the glaciers. Uh, and all the French folk people will be heading for Algeria. Uh, so that's another one, being able to really predict the climate. But that's a civilization ending Um uh, Real life expansion, do we really get it? Um, I think squaring the curve, I mean getting most people out to maximum lifespan is inevitable. Making them youthful is inevitable. But the big one is, is it, as we talked about, beyond 120? Do we get the 150, 200, 300, 400? Again, very different future depending on the outcome of that question. Cheap clean energy. Do we get cheap clean energy? I mean, at the moment, there ain't no better answer on the horizon than fossil fuels for the next half a millennium. You know, solar is getting there slowly, wind is getting there slowly, and nukes are too expensive. We don't have any good answers
6: at the moment. I think we spent all the money we are spending on bombing Iraq on, uh, on research and what have
1: but at the moment, none of the directions look very fruitful for being the replacement for hydrocarbons. Right? You can, at the margin, you can improve solar, you can improve wind, but they're not going to power the planet. And right now, we've got enough oil and gas probably for the better part of this century. We've got enough coal for the better part of half a millennium. But you're really thinking long term what's after fossils. And right now, there are no good answers to that. are none. Um, and nothing, even on the horizon, that we're thinking about, that's a good answer. So, I mean, you know,
2: what's the projection of how long the current rate of realization is possible?
1: Well, well yeah, oil and gas about a century, and coal about five centuries. <coughs> that order of time, right? nuclear Right now, the current nuclear technology and anything we see about it is too expensive. It's about fifty percent
7: more expensive than hydrocarbons. And yeah, is that is that is that, is that the inherent cost, or is that just regulatory cost? No, that's the inherent cost. That, that, that's even if
1: you, you know, get rid of a lot of the stuff, it's still about. There's just a good project uh, assessment done at MIT, literally just published a few weeks ago on exactly by pro-nuclear guys the, the department. Now, the but the issue is that even if you've got uranium-based nuclear power to work, that still doesn't give you the power for the planet. There's enough uranium. So, this direction of nuclear power is a good supplement to hydrocarbons and might stretch the hydrocarbons another half a millennium, maybe. But it's not the substitute for hydrocarbons. Uh, fusion might be, but the physics doesn't work yet. So right now there's nothing on the horizon. So that's a very big question in my mind, and one that ought to be addressed fundamentally. What's the clean energy? And then finally, the spaceflight question. Are, are we Earth-bound or not? Do we have faster-than-light? Do we have space colonies? Uh, do we have asteroid protection? Because I do think that's a big one. Um, and do we have ETs or not? You know, long term. You know, have we make contact with? Uh, so those are sort of five big questions uh, of science and technology. So where does that leave us for the long run? Right. have We got high population, high tech world. You can imagine a world out there. With, you know, 50 billion people with super high technology, and you know. Uh, a thousand years in the future, um, you know the kind of science fiction dream, or you can have high population health, you know, true, you know, the, the uncontrolled population, many billions living in, in a giant favela. Uh, you can imagine low population utopias or low population primitive worlds, mm-hmm. the, the 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 hacienda of hundred thousand acres, or the, the few remaining tribes wandering the planet. And then finally, the question is: Is it first bound or galactic and beyond? And over a thousand years, that's a reasonable question, mm-hmm. over a century or two. So what do we do with all this kind of stuff? You know, what, 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 what do we do with this kind of thinking? Well, part of what I think we do is to help think about uh, the path of ideas going forward. And I think this is one of the places where, again, I think there's two or three places here where Long Now can be helpful, and where the kind of conversation we're engaged in. Uh, Stuart, and, and uh, Kevin, you may have been there as well. When in about 1990, we did scenarios for nanotechnology with Eric Drexler and a few other people. Do you remember that? Stuart, we were yeah. in Oakland, yeah. We laid out the pathways going forward. But it's amazing how, you know, you know, we're well ahead of the curve on what we thought a decade ago. But those ideas, that's okay, but the, the, those ideas percolated through a lot of different cultures, Hewlett Packer, IBM, lots of places that have been pushing those ideas forward. So one of the things that we can think about doing is uh, I laid out those problems that I think we have to solve is what's the path of ideas going forward that is worth thinking about that can be stimulated and set in motion. What are the big problems? What are the priority problems? I laid out my candidate list of the big problems that are worth addressing, i.e. the the, the need for a a, a, an equivalent of the rule of law for ecosystems. and then uh, the key tools, I think that part, I'm not sure we have much to contribute on, maybe. Um, and, uh, on the main. And on the individual, uh, the, one of the first source of ideas is the individual Eureka, and the McCarthy Foundation is taking care of that one. Uh, we don't need to worry about that one too much ourselves. So where that leads me to is engage people in a really long conversation. There's something called the Gordon Conference, and Daniel will tell them. I don't know if the rest of you know. The Gordon Conferences are conferences that take place most in New England in the summer, and there are scientists getting together to help establish the agenda in their fields in chemistry and biology and so on. Um, and it has a lot of influence on the National Science Foundation and corporate research and so on. And they publish the reports of these. It's every summer, don't they? With, 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 with yeah. With, with, with different topics. Uh, different topics. Yeah, yeah. Right. But the but the point is that there's a kind of ongoing conversation. But it's much shorter term in focus, I mean, for the next few years. But I think doing the equivalent of the kind of Gordon conferences on a very long time horizon, what are the problems, what are the intellectual pathways forward, what are the uh, uh, issues that have to be addressed that have very large civilizational consequences. You know, a good example of one that I think mean, Rusty has helped stimulate is people are beginning to take seriously now the idea of asteroid uh, uh, protection, uh, which I think is an important idea. Steve Church is
6: giving tons of money away now.
1: Yeah, but I mean, but this was a wacky idea uh, only a decade ago, right? You know, we worked on a science fiction movie about it. You know, you know. I mean, it was bad science. Why wasn't well, it was a bad science fiction? Movie because, you know, it, it, that was the category in which people dealt with it. Ah, yes. Well, this is what you, you know. Bruce Willis goes and deals with it,
3: right? You just have a twenty meter within
5: half the of the moon. Right. That's because it a
3: Yeah.
5: Big mess okay. that okay. it gets. What, what would what would that what would the effect of that be? The it depends where it hits.
6: So but they just you're, 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 you're,
2: you're, you're the let's it's
3: mm-hmm. same thing in East Texas for the shuttle. say it in East Texas for the shuttle. So I we, actually you'd probably be better if it's on that. Yes, hitting oh, mean, water, water is is not a good water. thing. Hitting water is a big problem because if you follow tsunami. Um I mean this and everything? We've did. never seen a big one here. Well, the closest you know, we've the seen
2: is Tunguska. The indirect effects seem to be the real death.
3: So, one right. thing that happens is, for example, they seem to the trigger seismic events all over the place, so, right, right. earthquakes all over the place. Another thing is, if they're big enough, they just throw out dust and you do a few years without sun coming out, which like So, probably 20 meters is big enough for that. Huh? It would easily, you know, be much bigger than the in terms of, uh, you know, the, the extra 20 meters. And and in fact, did you see the article in the Times the other day, about the movie? A lot of drops took a lot. So
6: I
1: thought, yeah. How large did the
6: scenarios get a 20 meter faster?
1: You know, oh, again, it, it depends on yeah. where, where, which yeah. coast and where, you know. Middle of the Pacific, different story than 500 miles off the Atlantic coast. But... Did they know on the one this week? I said no one. Well, they did
3: you know the one this about three days before. Really? Yeah. If we don't have any system for detecting these, and where they're coming from makes a difference. If they're coming from the
1: direction of the sun, you can't detect them at all, and so you know, essentially, have no ability to see anything coming out from the sun. So it depends on what the plane is of it's movement toward the earth. The one example that we can actually know a lot about was this did happen in recent history. It happened in Siberia in 1907 over a place called Tungaska. Uh, a big chunk of rock and ice came out of the sky and blew up at about 20,000 feet uh, and created damage over about 2,000 square miles, destroyed a village. Uh, and you know, there are pictures of what happened. You, know, you can see this big glass pattern. Wasn't the, the, trees. One of the most 2,000 square miles? Exactly. In fact, if it had come down over New York City, there would have been no New York City. Is what
4: would have it happened. It's very
3: unlikely that you would have set. But just to give you an idea of uh, something that seems to happen about, you know, once every time 10, 20 million years is the one that you know, wiped out the dinosaurs. And, and that pretty much seems to kill most of every species. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's that's a real you know, mm-hmm. evolution shifting. You know, that's that seems to happen on a pretty regular basis. In large, we really had Rusty Schweiger here talking about
0: exactly the profile asteroids so for the next 100,000 years, almost in 3 million years the data. And it's short on of exactly what a 20 meter one does
3: versus a half mile right
2: now. And out. you have a great article on the side America on how you deal with it. You can do the, new, the,
1: new, the new idea of a spacecraft, which I really like.
3: Yeah. The other thing that's probably happens slightly more often, which I don't know where to go, is right. very large scale. Yes. But really right. like but also series of Carratella, civilization, civilization-shaking Well, there was a
1: great piece in the New York Times that I saw in the arts section the other day on Munch's painting the screen. Yeah. You see that? I think, do you remember what what was the source of the color of the sky? Wow. They now think it was mm-hmm. Uh that over Norway. Munch saw this months mm-hmm. later, uh, and. They now believe that the, the, the pattern of color in the sky came from Krakatoa exploding literally halfway around the world. Um, <laughs> anyway, just to conclude, what I'm, what I'm really suggesting is that part of what our mission these seminars, and is a kind of conversation along the long now, of what are the ideas that we really need, what are the issues that we need to address, uh, what are the big questions, of the kind that we have just posed here. And then to continue to revisit those. What have we learned over the last decade about solving some of those problems? What are, what kind of ideas going forward for the next decade or two? Uh, and be a kind of ongoing conversation about what the large civilizational conceptual agenda ought to be I'll stop right.
0: Here, one of the strongest things I get from this talk is, is your different answer to the question you've been asking for now for quite a while which is what are the things that last a long time and that make a difference for a long time and so for example if something going to at least 10,000 year clock for 10,000 years and you imagine an institution will do that uh, there's so far you no know, 10,000 year State lawyers and just do like it like they did. Universities go back to basically a thousand years to Bologna and Paris uh, or to the library in the years. But that's the most. Um, Corporations, what are the oldest stuff here?
1: 700. Yeah. How far back do I'm
0: sorry, uh, do Religions go back 3,000 years? Not 3,000. The longest living regions tend to be on the water, and sometimes they move up. Another one that uh, is interesting to look at is cities. Some cities carry on for a very long time. Uh, here it goes, a serious village at least for all of a very serious city. Typically, capital cities, um, as soon as you get a new number, <laughs> you get a new capital city, and so they tend to dry up. some of them more deadly. Well, what Peter is introducing, I think, is is the notion of, it reminds me a little bit of uh, Harold Morowitz, who I can see, a biologist I see at Sanity Institute, who says the most primordial thing that we can study in life is metabolism itself. And the way metabolism works, the whole pathways of energy and chemical reactions go on in a living being, that have to proceed in structure. They are a complete uh, set of, of, of... sense idea paths, or frozen accidents, or a deeply embedded legacy system, and they are way And you can sort of tease away the parts that don't have to be there and get back to something that's very primitive and the continuity of that is enormous. So Peter is, is adding to this collection his uh, ideas as being one of these things which often have enormous vulnerability and influence that goes on for centuries. In the past, and be suggesting in the future. And one more thing: is, notice the difference between good ideas and powerful ideas. Powerful ideas are the ones that have this influence over a very long time. Not all of them are necessarily good ideas; they don't have to do it be good and powerful. Um, and if one is acting responsibly toward the future, one would probably be careful about powerful ideas that maybe have the ability of not being so good. And she's
1: just a take. <laughs> <laughs> a, a powerful bad idea. idea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, oper- yeah, you proprietary operating yeah. uh, operating systems is potentially a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And maybe a little sort of software.
1: Is that sort of point the same way? That's exactly going? it. So the question I'm asking is what are the important ideas we need to do?
2: Well, what would be a powerful idea right now if you were to say, you know, if you
1: were to put the 21st century on that, or the 20th century on your graph? What would you put up as a powerful oh, idea, uh, or a good idea? Well, I think I mean, uh, markets, for example, is an idea that gained a lot of hold for the 20th century, and it's a good idea, that uh, the concept of a marketplace... Uh, as a good social mediator for many kinds of societal activities is a powerful idea and that has now taken hold around the world and defeated another powerful idea that you want to have the states run uh, to allocate resources around the markets. And that was, that was one of the core uh, ideational competitions of the 20th century and one idea won. And it won was
3: political... In fact, maybe the more general version of that was emergent impact. Okay, good. When the one, society, one system had no feedback? The markets was kind of an example of it. it was good, that's really a lot of, kind of really good
0: decentralized right. emergent
3: feedback. Yeah, well, that, to me, it's out of control decentralized emergent feedback. feedback. <laughs> 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 good, good, good. good. <laughs> yeah, that's <what> I was <laughs> <to say, laughs> yes. Out of control decentralized
7: emergent feedback. For example, evolution is emergent feedback. Yes. It's a and it has some market-like problems. Well, exactly. Right. So Peter, we, we keep using good. I think it's very really easy for us to evaluate maybe whether an idea is influential or powerful or sustainable or sustaining. I think it's harder for us to evaluate whether an idea is good or not. I agree. And you had a kind of curious definition of good, what which was the definition of good was things that were making it better in the long term or something or, or, or improving the lot of the human hosts. One right,
1: that definition. on on power. Yeah, okay. we well, no, no, no. So powerful is persistent spread. Accurate. Powerful is that they are they they persistent spread. It doesn't mean that they improve the condition of their host. Uh, you know. Uh, so didn't
0: you didn't you map good onto us um, from killing each other too much living sustainably in our environment? Yes. And so you map good into those four
1: things? Well, well what so I said. Sure, yeah, that, that's right. Yes. Yeah. What I not quite, but that's close. What What I said was that uh, that that there is this constant struggle, and the good ideas help us in that struggle. And and that good ideas help us deal with not telling each other too much, living within our means, uh, ecologically. Providing I meaning to human and enabling
7: able to do great things. When communism
1: fit that the definition at the time when it started, I'd love to do a thought
0: experiment. Oh, okay. Okay. It's, okay, it's the late 19th century. Marx is around. Yeah. Uh, the ideas of communist socialism are mm-hmm. afoot, and many bright, uh, extremely uh, public-spirited people are starting to buy into this and indeed setting in motion the, the revolutions first in Iraq and then in China, You fulfill the promise of this wonderful new
2: idea, how would they have known? What, what would be the principles that would have told them potentially a very
1: really bad idea? They probably wouldn't have known. They would have tried. And what they would have found is exactly what we talked about, that it, it had been just about a moment ago that, in fact, there's a much better way of allocating resources that, that if you try to do it essentially in a non-emergent, uh, uh, top down. Um, Over a four characteristics emergent. Mm. Okay. Without feedback, uh, you know, you that you're going to have a misallocation of resources, and you will have a failure of your society.
7: Right. So here's what we need. You, need: you need a way to
1: stop an idea, a bad idea. Know.
5: This <laughs> is <horrible. laughs>
1: I'm not sure I, I, that it had to be. I mean, you have, for example, the Israeli people okay? About as opposed to you know classic socialism get. Yeah, they still didn't work. I mean, it wasn't totalitarian. It still didn't work. It, it, yeah, but like on the way. <laughs> yeah. You know, it happened on a longer time course.
0: Look, okay, is there a scale problem here? They're shooting in the way to test
1: communism at a small scale. Small yeah. a small is that we'll take over?
3: Russia. We'll, we'll try the experiment on a real scale. Think they think they think will do China. I a small scale. I don't think it's small scale. Well, scale. Scale. well scale. that's the question. If you
0: prefer scalability, as one of your design problems. Well,
3: I think about some of the shakers and some of the... But it wasn't going to work. Um, in principle, it's had totally giving you the capitalist manual and the communist manual. You would have read
7: it and said, well, right this, this one you know... It, it would seem much, communism yeah. it seems
4: much better. I mean, yeah, it seems I, I, I much gooder.
7: It seems yeah. much gooder. Exactly. Yeah. I, I would have thought, just, you
3: know, without seeing how it worked yeah. out, that communism would be the better Right. Okay, well, how, could you, how could you distinguish between the bad idea? Yeah,
6: you know, there's something that strikes me here. Is first of all, we keep on talking about what's good and bad. Well, I mean, we, we, we tend to forget about human subjectivity and depending on your your environment you're raised in, the generalizations you make, the deletions, distortions, your upbringing, everything else, and how you go about perceiving your consciousness. There is no right or wrong, and and then you get into trial and error. We would have never known that communism is better or worse than capitalism having to do a small experiment where you have a subjective audience judging that. The thing that really confounded me about your talk, and this is actually, you gave me a great idea for my business, so this actually <laughs> paid off really well to <laughs> me. Um, because you talked about ten percent, ten percent, not a problem. Oh, a problem. 100%, 100%, make us a million dollar company, I'll be happy. <laughs> you know. Anyway, um, no, the path dependency issue you brought up. You know, if, if you think about the problems, tools, and the eureka's, you know, you, t- and you look at what Leibniz is about systems biology and everything else, or what Laszlo talked about with systems thinking. The further path dependency gets developed, the more and more you have to rely on the thinking of your, of your uh, forebears. And so what happens to the great skill of systems thinking and the ability of integrating across multiple disciplines? So I can tell you, I, I, one of my skills is a systems thinker, but I, you know what, I don't have the ability to think in terms of physics or you know, uh, you know, advanced computer science or medicine or things like that. I know what I'm a good systems thinker about, and that's most literature and you know and things of that nature. But I, I have I don't have a con, uh, I don't have the context to be able to take that path dependence. So what's really interesting about human perception is how far along, like you know, for instance, somebody who comes from the Middle East who's not really well educated except in the Quran, to say you know some mullahs uh, you know uh, dictate, how well can they really uh, think in terms of systems thought process? in a path-dependent world. And then again, how many people in a path-dependent world can really start taking things in the entire context of society? And so you know, that's that's what really compounds me, because the farther we go, you start talking about position and all that stuff, then that's path-dependent at the same time. People making the policies that we live by, the people that are building the society that we live in, are people that have to make generalizations, deletions, and distortions regarding reality, some kind of decision and you know what? Those are the people that vote. And so you know that's that's that's, you know, that's that's my conundrum here. And you know the, the reason why I said the path dependency thing for me was a good idea because you know in healthcare we have to do a lot of uh, scenario planning. And what I want to try to do is try to you know build scenario planning with path dependency and have people sponsor Camp David sessions where they actually spot a scenario and really explore it in great detail for healthcare. And medical science research and things of that nature. You know what gets me is is what we're talking about is a lot of subjective and in trying to look at objective fashion. I don't know if there's any objectivity here.
1: Well, you you, you can separate two different classes of ideas. You know, the, the ideas in the physical world you have it's much easier because if, if it's not true, you find out pretty quick. You yeah. know things are going to fall or
6: not, and you get been
1: overturned. Yeah, I mean, well. most of the time, it turns out it worked pretty well
4: for most situations. And, now?
1: Yeah, but, you know, we, we,
4: we, we can rely on it. We don't float away most of the time.
1: But a <laughs> uh, uh, social idea it, it, it is a function of what you believe. The reality is malleable. It's not uh, a function of objective fact. It's, it's a collective hallucination. Um, and therefore, it, in fact, is... Much different in character. If you want to push ideas forward in the social realm, it's much more about what we believe.
3: So let me me pull out something, maybe the difference between a good idea and a bad idea. Which is, I claim a good idea is not a collective person. A bad idea, and and a bad, powerful idea is a compelling Mm collective person. Yeah, that's probably not a bad way of putting it. Yeah, that a good idea is one that actually exposes reality and gives people the real information you have to work with. Mm -hmm. And that idea often is compelling to, it's desirable to believe something other than reality. For example, you might, uh, if you were trying to um, get a country to rally behind you, you might believe that you were the super race, and that therefore, you have the right to rule over everyone else, or you might believe if if, if you you know want to get everybody to um, follow communism, you might believe that you know everybody you know should really be unselfish and yes. share everything and and, and and so in fact some of those ideas can be very compelling because it's sort of you know people can easily get themselves in a frame of mind where they would like to live in a world where. This collective hallucination was true rather than reality, but those are ultimately bad ideas. Well, we're talking over here. You know, the idea that civilization was about to collapse, and
1: we need to go back to the land. This was a bad idea from the late 1960s. So
7: Danny, is is God a good idea?
3: Well, I think it depends on whether it's true or not.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't say it was not true.
2: (laughs) 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 <laughs> 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 that's what God is. I, that's really what For a lot of people, <laughs> God is about. Right. So, that would be in one purpose,
0: Peter, I'm sure I'm I'm sure that's not good. I'm happy but I if you could map one or two of the questions. the of the, but to out, on to
2: the, of the Well, actually,
0: I had part
5: of it in
1: my talk, which I skipped over because yeah. I didn't want to. everybody could
0: it. It. Yeah, but could, could you do it just as part of the uh, exercise? <coughs> that doing. Now, you
5: just, just briefly. Three, just briefly. Yeah. How would you map all of these questions onto the framework? Uh,
7: Well, (laughs) he did that a little bit. At the very end, where he said, not
5: a scenario.
0: I call them our future possibilities. Yeah,
1: basically, what I'm trying to do is fold in. Uh, a lot of those developments give us four separate possibilities of a world of very high populations um, that you know, had basically solved a lot of the kind of problems we were talking about, or one that not. Conversely, a world in which you had much lower populations had uh, not solved, probably not. And then finally, the, the issue of, of whether we had a world that was in fact Earthbound or not. Um, and you have very different of the future. If you do different things depending upon what you believe about those different possibilities. Um, if, if you believe 100 billion carrying capacity of the Earth ought to be 100 billion people,
0: we can build a technology potentially. It would be a very different kind of Earth. That's interesting. I didn't know of exactly nobody who thinks that. I think say it was a good idea. Except maybe Kevin. But what I mean is it's nobody's goal. But I think I broke perfectly. I'm sorry? To do what? Yeah, hundred billion people. Everybody's saying that's what we really need. Now, some Buddhists say,
1: "What we need is more human consciousness." <laughs> <laughs> but there are people that saying, that. Yes, no, more, more, "More, more is better." You know, I mean, the, the most okay. important thing is human consciousness, I and mean, the more of it, the better it is. You yes. know, sentient so. beings. You know, these are all souls. More souls, better souls. Buddhists don't actually have a very large
0: family.
7: Mormons <laughs> 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 have a you know, large family. The Mormons, yeah. yeah. Well. So, 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 so Peter, I, I was really struck by the very first point that you were making, and this was the thing that, that really um, triggered a lot in my mind. And that was you said that the future did not exist except as what we imagined. That, that that's what the future is. When we talk about the future, we actually should be talking about our idea of the future. And I think, that's, I, think that's, I think you can do a lot with that, because that's actually true in a certain sense, that the future exists the future we have right now is only and primarily and, and actually wonderfully our conception of it, our, idea. So our idea of the future. That's yes. what it is. Then you go talk about writing the future, harming the future. Right. But I, I'm taking your face value, your first statement of definition of the future. That when we are harming the future, what we're doing is we're harming our idea of the future. That is exactly what i okay. so, so, really, it has little to do with whether we're having some effect on the carrying capacity of the environment down the future. It has to do with when we're talking about harming the future, we're talking about harming our idea of the future, because that's really the main thing. That is the future that exists. Exactly. And so, what we're trying to do right now is to cultivate ideas of the future, because it's the only future that we have, and Um, So that when we talk about um, having impact on the future, what we're talking about is having impact on the idea of the future. Correct.
0: If you're dangerously, during this whole exercise, you want to step. That may be okay. It may not be, but I'm going to get an assertion that it's
2: dangerous (laughs) during
5: this whole exercise. Well, if little more like the effect on consciousness of of wild places and the effect on the human psyche of having wild places, Mm -hmm. in the future is a wild place. And, and what will we make of it? Um, yeah, and, we my ball. Ball. and we might as well do something about the future because in fact it's the only thing exactly exactly what we call
3: that
5: subject.
0: okay
7: but you know the difference we're thinking about is just an idea and like, you know, an aesthetic
0: question and, and one where we have um, we have a um, we have we a have responsibility for the moral there's a clear future, uh, assumption as opposed to mm-hmm. it's yes. a
1: setting assumption. a different world use. Well, I do think there's a causal relationship. And, and that's part of the, the, the issue, uh, this goes to where I think Kevin was going, that we can do something about what we believe about the future, and what we believe about the future will actually influence what future we have. Right. But not totally. No. It's <laughs> not entirely at our gift. Well, what's interesting is
0: You know, up till now, human contention was a relatively small event in the world. But increasingly, human contention is enormous event in the world. And the future is
7: ever more volitional, as that Mm -hmm. becomes more of the case. I mean, I think what Danny said is true. The future, we have to be concerned about the future because it's the only thing that we can do anything about. But I actually don't believe that we have total control over... Or, I mean, even total influence over the future. I, I agree because I think that there are lots of systems, including technology itself, that we don't have full control over. Or nature. I mean,
1: the, the, the asteroid that comes out from the sun. You yeah, never said total. You just said
2: influence. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we can make a difference. Right. But, you know. And, and all I'm saying is that history tells us we can make a difference. We have made choices that have been better and worse, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people have suffered or benefited as a result of those choices. That, I, I'm not making a statement much more profound than that. No. But that their choices are very much shaped by the future and by that future that exists in their mind at that moment.
0: Peter, mm-hmm. who would you trust the future in the hands of more uh, very powerful people in uh, the statements on Alphaists or pessimists about the future?
1: Neither. Uh, in, in, in other words, I think, it's it a that's an unbalanced view. You know, the, the, the pessimist retreats from the future, and, and the optimist doesn't fix it. Uh, and, and so you know, that, that I describe myself as a realistic
7: optimist. Uh, and, that is, I, I have no illusions about what it takes to create a future, but it is possible to create better. Future. But you're mixing up your definitions. If you stick to your definitions, the future is an idea. I mean, that's is, true. I am. You, you need two different words or something. Yeah. If you define a future as you began, it's a, it's a very different answer. Well, you can have a picture of the future that is bright and colorful, or one that is black and white and dark. And that's the future that exists today. That okay? is those different pictures of the future, as it were. You see, I think what you're trying to do, actually, and, and you've talked about this before, is that this is the Long Boom is about. I think, you know, the Long Boom came out of the idea that there was not a plausible, uh, optimistic idea of the future that right. exists so let's create one and I think that problem hasn't been completely solved by the long boom no. in other words I, I think that, that that what the world does need is an optimistic plausible view of the long future
1: well and, but Kevin I think the long boom is an interesting example of what we're talking about because the long boom had its good and its upside downside and the upside was it inspired many people mm-hmm. and on the other hand it made other people complacent and thoughtless about the future. Right. I.e., uh, we don't actually have to think about it. can this boom end and can it have uh, downside consequences and so on. And so it, it, it was, in some sense, a good idea, uh, but it had its, its darker
7: elements as well. You so we don't need that. I mean, the thing is that we have 354 dark views of the future. Yes. And, there are One bright bright view. and they're all going to counterbalance any kind of uh, uh, over-optimistic view you might have. What we don't have are very, very optimistic very long views of the future. That's certainly true. All the extropiants of their various fields. The, the rapture is going to end in, in 2040 or something. But the <laughs> truth is they're, they're not very intellectual views.
1: The intellectual views of the future are all gone. You long know, long the long science
0: long. fiction us are mm-hmm. about reading very well. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Are, I'm a but do you believe almost but, but there's almost nothing mm-hmm. of the not plausible. Very often. With yeah, but all plausible. the current
7: science fiction is dark. Yeah, what, what, there, there were, um, they, they were plausible, but they're not plausible now. No. They're not plausible?
0: Yeah. Well, uh, the science didn't get any less plausible.
2: Or it just got more plausible. So but our perception <laughs> <laughs> <human, laughs> <our, our receptor laughs> of human <laughs> society became <laughs> a
3: human consciousness. So, uh, I, I, that, that sort of brings us back to another question, which I think has to do with this, which is, you said, Early on, something like that sounded right to me, but I can't be quite good, Which is, it is certainly true that our short, in the short term, people, the short term view is pessimistic. A things seem to be worse in the long term. Yeah. You're talking about hacks. You're talking about hacks. So, there could be one or two things. It could either be, it's always looked like that to people. And there's some bug in human perception. In this case, it be sort of nice to understand what that bug in human perception is. It's that that sort of optical illusion, or it could be that, Maybe that there's feature, something. By the way, or a feature, but there's something about human perception. Mm-hmm. Or, or it could be also that there's something actually very unusual about the short term that we're in right now. That it could be that uh, we're at an odd point right now. We're and, that, and I think we already on point right now. We are we're going through the stage transition. We are the only generation that has ever and probably will ever be um you know gone through the population of human earth double. No, we're the only generation that's ever exactly. in one generation. And, and it's one generation in the last and is probably the last one, so both of those are unique to this. Generation. Right. Yeah, this mm-hmm. one. The first time. What, the so I wonder if if that effect has been true always or if this is just something about right now.
1: I think it's kind of gone yeah. But I think it's much more pervasive now because we're just much more aware of it. I mean, I, I remember one of the very first books I read, you know, thoughtful books on the future, was Joseph Wood Crook's book, uh, of the modern temper, written in 1929. And it was really about how civilization was coming apart at its roots, in a sense, at, at the level of human consciousness, uh, and how we have become disconnected from deep human motivations and from it. And the, 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 this was the, the, the clearest statement of decline that was inevitable. You know? And, and I it, it was kind of a shocking awakening for me to begin to think about this. Because, I mean, I, I didn't to science fiction until then, no. you know, and the future was only going to be better. And now I'm going
3: to go, oh, think? So maybe it's just a fail. I mean, for example, if we were in China right now, you we would think that it was a short-term view of the short term be, uh, Almost
7: certainly would. Right. You know, and you'd say, gee, this looks like a good 500-year run in front of us. See, Danny, I think we've only had uh, a couple of generations when anybody thought about was the future at all. Most of the time people thought about the past, primarily. The future was basically more of what the same. Right? Right. Life didn't change within your lifetime very much to even really concern about the future. The only reason why we think about the future is because we have evidence that the future is gonna change even within our own lifetime. That's when science fiction started. It started when the rate of change accelerated or, or was fat, as fast as your life. And so, in the past, people had the idea that there was the a golden age. They looked to the past for guidance, for their, their view and their shaping. And there was a sense that maybe things went downhill, but there wasn't a sense of turning around, looking at where they were going to well. And so, we had this one generation, basically, that was sort of just coming off of that, looking at the future and saying it's great. And then we had the second generation who looks at the future and says it's horrible. So, I think we haven't sorted things out from third generation yet.
0: I think the, um, there's a variation on Alan Kay. Alan Kay says the best way to predict uh, the future is invented, Right. And a lot of people sort driven their careers around that kind of idea. I think there's a whole lot of people who would say, if asked, the best way to predict uh, the future is have it be exactly the same. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, you know, heaven is the place where nothing ever happens. And that's going to look very attractive in the trees of how change. But Kevin's point is
3: that that's maybe the kind of default. I and mean, that we're in an odd situation where that's not the prevailing part of the religious war in the world right now is between those two worlds. But, yeah.
1: So, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, we, the person who's not here, the dog not at the table, as it were, well. uh, uh, Paul Hawkins would argue very differently. You know, it, and, and, and you and I know Paul, you've known Paul, you've known Paul long enough. He's always done it this way. You know, I mean, he's always had a kind of dark view of the, in, the future, no matter what it was. Uh, and there, there's something, I think, in his psyche, and I, and I don't mean to personalize this, but I think there is a, a kind of cast of mind, and I, I'm only using him as an example, mm-hmm. that sees decay as inevitable what, what, in whatever the situation is and wrote, whether they were writing in Shakespearean times, or in Platonic times, or in the 19th century, um, about the inevitability of the decay of society. Uh, and that there were always
7: uh, Jeremiah's. I think what Danny's suggesting is that the times have personalities too. The epics periods have their own personalities, and it may be that the personality of this particular moment is dark, and that it uh, may not be anything in the system itself. It may just be the personality. And then there's nothing about the inherent constitution of a human that makes it dark. It's just it's a person is. I and mean, it could be that nothing inherent of our system at all that makes it dark with maybe just this personality in this time right now. So what, what
5: about uh, Gregory Bateson's story about the wounds of New college? Remember that? And thinking about the future, when the future was in this you were allowed yeah. to make plans two hundred years because it was, now we don't know what's going to happen in hundred years, so making plans right. seems great. Right. Yeah, it's right. and, and
0: it's what that story mm-hmm. in Gregory's is what got Danny started in the fall. Is our fall. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and the way that uh, Leighton interpreted it last week, which made, made all of us so afraid, was he said the hardest thing people have is imagining the future, and he didn't barely manage next week. If you put really hard, maybe in six months and go to college. Mm-hmm. And most of us so-called adults are you know not that much better. But so the amazing thing about the clock is you gives see this funny little keyhole into the distant future. you can imagine it being inside your mountain taking away mm-hmm. and you can sort of build a little stuff around that sense of
2: management. Mm-hmm.
0: And so likewise the idea that the, the college hall and New College Oxford would be there and would need new wings in a couple hundred years. Uh, it's a great comfort to the uh, culture to feel that some stuff is just going to on out. Brian actually told several stories I was the new, the new college story. He also told about the um, great landscape designer in Canterbury, mm-hmm. uh, the who put landscapes in England that were meant together really and moved in about two hundred years. 200 years. <laughs> <laughs> they're just
5: now you know, a certain of time. So I, I just had this vision
7: of along now being assigned a task to think about the beams of the future of the new college group and, and what we would do is we'd have scenarios. And we'd have this area where the new college is going to be there at all. <laughs> we'd have the new this scenario about uh, what might you know, we'd have four it would or five. Be titanium five, beams. We'd have four or five scenarios but but you know, I mean that the, their assumption was that the new college wouldn't be there in five hundred years. We can't even make that assumption right now. And so I mean I was just amused by the idea of what we would do if we were the you know the board of New College. Of <laughs> 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 <That's> <laughs> a scary I know in charge and we'd have all these scenarios and stuff and and, and and you know we'd have backup plans and stuff and probably we would never plant the trees. But Kevin, that explains the clock. The clock is our large
5: Oxford <laughs> College
0: Hall. It is meant to be
2: so useless <laughs> <laughs> that it will not be replaced by anything.
0: It is its own reason for existence, and we can plan for hundreds of years to work mountains and do all this kind of stuff without fear of having to do scenarios. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's one. If you know, yeah, the yeah. question, should there be others? And it, part of the question that emerges from this is, is in finding kinds of institutions with different kinds of, of thinking as appropriate. Mm-hmm. And one is increasingly in awe of the authors of the Constitution. States, mm-hmm. As an incredibly both pessimistic and optimistic, and mm-hmm. the future mm-hmm. seizing mm-hmm. group of systems engineers who took the most malleable thing they knew, the, the most explosive thing they knew. They just seen what what had happened in politics in England. and between England and America, and they were going to fix the problem of politics and design a system that would fix itself over time. It's an astonishing job this work. Like that. I mean, if we came anywhere close, that would be something. Mm-hmm. We haven't we haven't talked about the lessons that I done all night. Good. Not Good. Going Good. in the Good. Good. Um, I I was intrigued by it. I mean, there's there's sort of this self when you talk about killing without killing people too much, and the idea of this sort of self-correcting thing. Um, it, People are learning for some optimism, it sounds like you we know, feel like somebody else does and we like to supply that. But obviously, to me anyway, the tribe is not the individual, collectively has these countervening uh optimistic and pessimistic course because the behavior follows from too much optimism, too responsible, behavior that follows from too much pessimism, which is too conservative. You would you were going to design a species, you'd design it to have some complexity. That, that we're uh we got a lot of one, it would increase the ability to increase the other and, and it would be a counterbalance of that Um the uh the design. So the designers of the matrix have clearly thought exactly this way, is that they in a the big program you want to have these buds
5: mm-hmm. which <laughs> would occasionally
0: come back uh, and, and and provide you know new stuff. Uh, a location, but there's all these counter-inforces that would keep it from, you know, that would rarely um, crash the system. So um, uh, I think it's very useful, um, there's some wonderful hints of robustness that lie in, in the talk. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's wonderful to sort of talk about ideas about so long in the long-term future, but there's nothing I've kind of found yet in the questions that have been telling as one guy saying, you know what? I'm going to build something that works ten thousand years from now. I can give some help with
2: material science. I can use some help with geology. I can use
0: some help with politics. I can use some help with some other future.
5: Mm-hmm. Oh
0: yeah, that's cool. I'll, yeah, that's cool. I'll,
5: I'll help you. There's nothing
0: like an example. Mm-hmm. And so I would love to see us think, frame the questions not as um, as, as, as can, but as what's another thing we can build that's just that's even more compelling that uh, some asteroid protection
1: system... Uh, that's one of my candidates. That, that, that's a good one. Uh, uh, ...sustained colonization off the planet. By the way, you know, um, competition among nations for um, space exploration is as good an idea as since athletics in the reduce killing people. I must say... You do not mention athletics as a way reduce killing I feel good. I good. good. I last spring I gave a talk about large George that that going to so to return to the moon uh, as soon as China put their man in space. Right. And, and right. Bruce Sterling
2: thank, thank God it didn't get It's a wonderful,
0: wonderful um, you know, way to keep all those industries busy uh, without blowing things up while you a few rockets.
2: You're asking
1: Well, I, I, you know, I, we talked about the image of the future. Bruce Sterling's image in Wired magazine of the Chinese astronaut landing on the moon and lowering the American flag. <laughs> 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 Is,
2: what a cartoon! <laughs> <laughs>
1: that article has been circulated widely in the Defense Department. And this is an image <laughs> of the future. It's absolutely true. It's a cartoon? You no, know, it is a the cartoon. There's a little article that Bruce wrote in Wire uh, as it described, you
6: know, what was going to happen <laughs> when the tiny task rotted a little bit and lower the pipe. And you know, you can just see you can just see the channels Holy
4: shit! <laughs> you know. We're going place, back to the moon!
6: Betty replaces another one with that little tank that's made in China. Right.
1: Did <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, know, you see uh, Buzz Aldrin's piece arguing for L5 rather than the. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a good argument, actually. I like the piece. I'm glad to see. Uh, L5. Not L1. I I
0: never, know,
1: he was arguing for L1. I never yeah. thought I'd see that come back. Yeah, L1. He was arguing for L1. Uh, Whoa. Well, but it was a, it was a good article. But in fact, they are seriously considering now relaunching aggressively a manned space program because of the Chinese. It's hard to imagine it. See, uh, they hit
0: such a wall last time. Of year.
1: Oh, I'm not saying it will, but I just find it wonderfully uh, ironic. Yeah. What they hit such a wall. Mm-hmm. The space program hit a wall.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a what an incredible opportunity for somebody to get you know ten percent down the road. And get Idea. And completely changes sure. the name of the game. For unman stuff, and most people forgot we've been there. I didn't
1: mean that. Most <laughs> <laughs> right. people don't believe are. we haven't been there. We are the special one of the world. Sixty-five percent of the planet does not believe we've been there. Thirty-five percent of Americans don't believe we've been there. You can see that in market. <laughs> 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 the marketplace. We the gotta day. go back. We gotta yeah. Go, yeah. go back
2: again. We're starting to do it right. It
1: would be interesting if, if I had a serious Harvard graduate recently asked me that in a serious way. One of my partners in monitor, a very serious guy, Columbia and Harvard graduate, said. yeah,
5: I, I just believe Really? really? Yeah. He, he said, I, I heard you worked on Apollo. Is, 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 did a, I, I, I don't think so. Did At least the same people who you think it's about the same as yourself? No. No. Well, they are related. <laughs> they li- li- live in a fantasy world. Well, it, it's also a
0: plausible story. It, uh, <coughs> Anne Herbert, like a bunch of the stories back then after the Wright brothers, who, who were there America, and, you know, and they were starting to apply bears and all the other all over the country. And there were the editors and newspapers saying,
1: heavier than air, flight is impossible. Therefore, this is a And being published <laughs> no one, certainly. Well, hell, if Danny will remember when well, we brought Arno Penzias over to see the connection machine. You were there. Yeah, we, yeah. We were <laughs> doing this workshop for AT&T. Oh, it it at oh, right, right. We brought Arno over to see, because Arno had said parallel computing is impossible. Right. Right. We were in the meetings, he can't do the parallel computing. Right. The thing was, is across the street. We took Arno over. It's the guy who won the Nobel Prize for discovering the background radiation of the universe, right? And he looks at it and it still doesn't work and then he showed it uh, there was a, 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 a recognition system for keys and we put keys down and it would recognize people. and he said well, oh, $64,000 parallel processing works he said, well no, it's a trick I said, "Maybe it's a trick he says, well, parallel processing doesn't work I figured it out he uh, says, here it is no,
5: it's, it's a trick and it, you know the, the capacity for denial is profound I would probably also
0: Say more.
5: Uh, when I was doing
0: my death expectation, it was, and I can't remember who, it, but uh, one of the faculty members uh, was in the midst of doing the research that would, that I never saw that was, that was that mm-hmm. the results of, but was nevertheless pretty persuasive that the amount of delivery
2: is profoundly founding Otherwise,
0: you the that is it. exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and there's, there's
4: an actually a project about that, so. okay. I can
0: I believe that. I have uh, a related to the four stages of uh, <laughs> for, for dying. What is it? Denial, anger,
2: bargaining, acceptance? Yeah. but more than that. Well, well those, those are the 4 We're the the And
0: anyway, one. It's put out there sort of like, you know, wrong, yeah. wrong, wrong, right. Yeah, wrong. But actually, the sequence is exactly medically what you should probably do. Is lots of cases you deny that you No, Because as soon as you lose <laughs> the problem, you know, with systemic cases, you get into a deeper problem or a different source problem, you don't know anything. And likewise with marketing, you're actually doing some stuff. And likewise with anger, sometimes you motivate that you're And then acceptance is. The it's is very robust, but not as a special case of
2: optimism. Good. Oh,
3: dear, dear. Good. We've got so, several really good lines out tonight. So I, just, I, just, I, just to really I, reinforce your point, is, is uh, the press design now was the adaptive System of the U.S. Constitution is a piper compared to a the Egyptian monarchy in terms of its endurance. Endurance. And that was which the was thing. Be in sure it doesn't matter. That's right. Well, I would that, was, that yeah. was very much. Be sure the future is the same as today. Right. And you've got
0: technology, the, but they didn't suppress technology as far well as you know. They were they were at a the point where technology had its own pace. Nile flooded, and they they were chewing things that happened in China and Egypt that couldn't happen in, in a in, in microclimate and all There were
3: certainly incredibly conservative against new ideas. And you know, that that old how many, 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 how many, many, many cities got killed for inventing the wheel? Well <laughs> right. I they crushed monotheism. Yeah, <laughs> right, well they both invented and then destroyed
5: monotheism? You know, wiped it up erased it the
3: and unfortunately it came back
5: it's not a good idea right yeah. now there, are, there, there have been
3: any examples, examples of innovation starting to take hold into this And by the way when there was the the I think it was really important
0: to know that idea uh, at the artificial life conference in Santa Fe the first time I got to hear some of the, the, the people really talk about the, the conditions they're getting very close to mapping out the set of inorganic. Mm-hmm. That, that could have produced and they will, I really think human you know, thinkers is a very
4: plausible example
0: But you sort of think you sort of buy into the
1: earth moving around the sun conceptually but you know his village got taken over by the uh, mm-hmm. tr- the next tribe and he died and the idea went away so that's the
0: basic revolutionary insight which is that fitness is a moving is target. it's a
7: rolling landscape so yeah
4: I've
7: been looking at the, this question in technology how many times of you things have been, been parallel conventions, oh, really? yeah. <laughs> and um, the, it, it looks like there are there are cases where things are dependent on different continents or widely what, what part in time Then you can say that they were independent, but it looks like that the, the pattern for major type, uh, not small dimensions, but major dimensions are that they disseminate faster than the cycle of this random cycle of, of reinvention. re-invention. Yeah. That, 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 that's, that's a
5: survivor bias.
3: Right. That's the ones that took right. That's yeah. the
5: ones that, that took hold. So you don't know right. about all the ones the that well, failed. Really yeah. right. Every lightning strike in California started fire.
7: It's just that only a few of them became Right. Yeah. Well, because well, well, I, I guess the I question think is what we mean by invention. Like you know, the wheel. of I mean. You say, it's a survivor. Um, in other words, if you watch the progress of wheel across, you say, well, the other, other wheels. What do we mean by other wheels?
3: No, I mean, probably there were people who as much had the idea of a wheel as the one that had the idea of a wheel but got copied that led to our idea of And probably that happened a hundred times before the one that was in the right environment could grow and be copied. And grow big enough so that it didn't even squash. guy okay. made a wheel out of chalk. God, you know, th- this thing ought to work. But, you know, but it
1: you know, just went and rubbed it off. We tried the wheel. We, we could never get
3: the axle to work. Go we tried it go 20 go times. We used it for a year. It broke. We gave up on the wheel. Yeah, but, but, but like you're say, you saying, know, you know, we did it. We built a car. It worked great. Yeah. And then yeah. we, you know, we got to do it by And, you know, our car drive, I quite knew what that did. It was the end of that. And, and that probably happens an awful lot with ideas. And, and certainly, you know, I think that every time, and I, am I hang out with the inventors, every every time something gets invented and takes off, I run into people yeah, I that it. invented yeah. that and exactly. they genuinely did invent that. Right. That's it. Oh, but, Right. They, did, they They really have the idea, and they built the model, and they try to sell it to somebody. And, you know, and, and there were a whole lot of people out there that tried to do that. And, you know, they probably weren't the first one, and there were
1: hundreds of others that did that. But finally, somebody did it, and it took hold. And well, you know, Kevin, I'm a director of you know, this the micro-fuel cell company. We have, uh, right now, a little patent issue with Hewlett-Packard, uh, and, and literally both came to a particular idea within days of each other, and the notebooks will determine, the lab notebooks, who's got the rights to this, and mean it... You know,
3: I mean, I and their they're probably you know, I mean this can. I mean that was happened with with the great exactly. history touch. You know, there was a guy at IBM with, with a, one one month later as it turned out, you know, had exactly the same sets of ideas, but it was it was literally came out of the month. And there was probably a guy a month before that, you know, never got because he wasn't working for a big company, you know, there's, there's, there were probably z enough. Sure. And uh, yeah, so I think that I detect a, um, an aesthetic
0: here. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's worse than me, sort of, but I'm not a which is, we seem to be saying, sort of, ideas are important. New ideas are about uh, Ideas get created basically by uh, invention. So invention is good. And you seem to be doing that more invention is better. <laughs> I
3: always inventions. You with know, the but ideas are dangerous. We need well,
0: systems, systems to keep us from charging off with too many ideas. What's the right piece for, for, for... What's the right amount of invention? Really too much? This is the order, and we saw the borderline between order and chaos.
6: I have kind of an interesting social perspective on this and it gets back to I think that ideas are basically miracles because if you take a look at most people in the world they don't have the capacity to come up with or the capacity to implement them, and um, if you take a look at our political system that exists today, whether it's this country or those of other countries, we get an homogenization, demagoguery, uh, people that have uh, pure, pure motives of power, and so they suppress ideas. And it's very few of the people that can actually come up with ideas, have the means to do it, and then make them happen. So I would, I would, I would suggest that many, you know most of us, you know, are an anomaly in a sense, in the world, that we are able to contribute at the rate we do because we're somewhat unfettered, but at the same time, if you come up with something really revolutionary, you know, I mean, what ends up happening, and let's take stem cell research, is a great example of this, you get Luddites like Leon Cast and Sam Brownback, who I'm fighting with everything I have, you know, today, you know, that are going to try to take religious ideology and sponsored by Karl Rove, by oh, I'm a Republican, too, so it pisses me off more than anything. But, you know, um, you know, but, you know what, this is just an example in this country. But you got, what you've got is a suppression of ideas, a suppression of knowledge, and a suppression of the ability to act on it. And if the Supreme Court changes, you probably have a suppression legally of your ability to do a lot of things. And so I think, you know, when you look at it, we talk about ideas, and you talk about parallel consciousness and other things like that, and what about the person who might have been in the village that understood this beforehand? Well, the question is, and we'll never know this answer, how many ideas that were great ideas existed that we just never knew about or found out about or never had the chance to express themselves in society? And that's, you know, that, that's kind of, uh, kind of it's, it's an interesting thought. It struck me. And that completely persuades me to more invention, is. I think it's great. The well, question I mean, is...
2: Get to go. So well, see, but I think
1: history tells us something very important. And I didn't get into this; it was one of the topics I skipped over. We have an objective history. The objective history is that we've had very real uh, intellectual progress, and that is a, a, a kind of measure of the fact that there must have been a lot of ideas out there being tested, because a lot of bad ideas were rejected, and good right. ideas made through. So historically, if you look back, we actually are seeing the product of an enormous amount of diversity of ideas, uh, and both uh, volume and variation. uh, Because we have actually seen very real evolution, which is the outcome of that. And so I think you can reason back to its source in terms of evolution.
6: Well, you know, there's another example. this a Paul Romer example. Met ideas, Mm -hmm. Um, stirrups. And you may may have heard the story, but feudalism basically came about from the invention of stirrups, a great idea. And enabled uh, the knights to, you know, Get on the horses and, and stay on there when they had the lances in their hands to kill people. Before that, feudalism didn't exist because it enabled um, lords to put together large armies and actually subvert the serfs. So, in other words, a great idea turned into a suppressing idea because what it did is it suppressed, you know, millions of people into a life existence where they had nothing but they that the next life would be better. And so, you know, the interesting thing is is that all, the, all invention is great. The question is: Is it ever used as a tool of society, or those who seek power in society suppress other ideas that keep themselves in power? And you know, when I would say that, feudalism set us back quite a bit from the Renaissance. You know, and it's interesting. But you know, I mean, when, when I heard the first uh, Bill Dyer, the first guy I told me the stirrup story after talking to Romer one day, and um, I was just I was just abs- I, I never thought about it that way. And it really struck me. And I wonder how many of these other meta ideas are being invented every day that are going to suppress other ideas and innovation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really
0: a lot. The story history of this that dominates three centuries of you know, Western history. And there are, you know, must be many more stories you know, that were once invented per week now than over a decade ago. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the ecology we're in now, presumably, because lots of ideas. Suppression of ideas. Even there, there's workarounds. The idea of the workaround mm-hmm. is itself an idea that emerged from everybody having to deal with computers that don't work yet. But the, the, the short of the collapse of civilization, we're now in, a, in an environment
1: uh, of the next, let me call it, century or two, at a minimum, of a high degree of productivity of ideas. We're going to produce a lot, it's going to be a lot of diversity, a lot of competition of ideas, not so good ideas, but I think the, the rate of evolution of ideas is uh, inevitably extremely
0: high over the next several centuries. And then keep on going, now it hurts well, or level off somehow? Not necessarily,
1: that, that's a question of context, But I say, uh, short of the collapse of civilization, at least the next several centuries. It, it can realign itself into a configuration, let's say, society religion suppresses ideas, But mm-hmm. okay. so that, that, that is a plausible configuration that could come out there, you know, the Ayatollahs could win 200 years from now and say, all right, you know, it's back to 700. That could happen. I'm
5: mean, what really with this formula? Right. It's already Yeah. For now, but it's tough to
0: maintain it. They think they're getting
7: pornography back. Everything else. But Kevin, Kevin's doing a book called, uh, or maybe the
0: subtitle is, uh, What was Technology Today?" Uh, and in light of the last few centuries and therefore the next few centuries, what's your view these days? In the light of... As Peter's sort of saying, the intensely, intensely invented environment for yes. several
7: centuries. Is that what you see? Yeah, uh, the, the language I, I'm using is, is the language in reference to increasing options. In other words, to, to me, the only thing that technology brings, because it, it, every technology brings as many problems as it brings solutions. Okay? But the only, in other words... The now you say it brings a great many problems and
2: just a few
7: more solutions. Yes, exactly. Exactly. There's a delta 1%. Uh-huh. And that uh, what it what it primarily brings uh, is increasing options. Yeah. And that that's a good. Increasing that's evolutionary good. potential. Right. And and, and, and I have been having this conversation. For for me that's my definition of good. Yeah, I more more choices, more freedom. My that day, is good. And it's the
0: supermarket is always better than boutique. No. Well,
1: wait a you just said more options. But
0: right. you're, you're assuming
6: there that, there that there's only one boutique in an area.
1: And you're also assuming that the options in the supermarket are real, that they can be able What What's
0: well, the market wait supermarket prevents anything good to emerge at both supermarkets. What's my choice
7: again, Stuart? Is what? More options, you go to the supermarket.
0: If you want fewer right. options, you huh. go to the boutique. Right. Actually, okay. if you want but the lowest cost of the denominator, denominator, If you want maximum options, you
7: have the supermarket and the boutique. Exactly. And That's the, the boutique... boutique the, but uh, and and that's what we want. We want both. We want more options. And so, I, I, I think that, that uh, many supermarkets Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> why, why don't we Why don't we connect them all through? The some <laughs> in the middle. With a big store on each end. Oh, powerful idea! It's <laughs> the future. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Invented
0: them
7: all. No just Because they're designed. It. All those low IQ developers in there. Those low IQ developers. I- they didn't come. It, it just so. proves that inventions happen all the time, right? Yeah, we, we reinvented. The we ball. Never, never heard them all. We just dis- invented it. And it also proves that ideas. Ideas. We encounter them in courses.
0: A robust system has an handy ideal machine that doesn't. It also doesn't require. You have to have an handy idea. What does the anti-idea machine look like? You know, there's a job for Republicans, okay? <laughs> 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 um, Killing ideas! That we <laughs> need, a, <laughs> need, a,
5: need well. an idea-killing machine, and 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 one of the interesting challenges for especially
0: creative people is to come is to grapple with that
7: and come it's, it's not just the, uh, actually, Republicans. There are plenty of uh, other people who would prevent things from being changed. Say we were going to or say you want to build, you know, don't get me going with that.
4: Uh, but no, actually,
7: one I know mean, another, another way you can say that is, is that <laughs> you don't want to change a thing, right? Oh, God. <laughs> don't get me going. i will be a whole <laughs> night. You say you
0: want an idea to kill Yes. If i a robust system, I have a healthy balance between generative and protective forces because ideas are inherently dangerous. Okay, so now we come back to Danny's point about the role of reality. Because the totalitarian system will say, we know which inventions are good. And declare no stem cell research. And another system will say, try it. If anybody doesn't die, then it's okay. But but Mm -hmm. most of the in my industry, in biotechnology, it's it's liberals that are in base. Stem cells is a very recent thing. But there's the Green Party and radical environmentalists and the people that put you know, right. right. no BSD on the milk. And at the bottom it says, of course, there is no incentive to get the BSD is bad. But <laughs> I know your market segment, I'm going to sell it to you. And, so that and by advertising against hilarious. BSD, against, you know, a market that was developed, to make to be more efficient. Because, you know, because it's politically correct. You know, there's a single, so we have very, very so strong anti-Idea forces. Same thing happened with DDT malaria. DDT
6: malaria, exact right. same so example. Sure. It, it, a million Americans yeah. a here from now. Yeah,
7: and, but not as many as died because of European uh, opposition to the animal I agree. So so the thing is is that in, in biology, actually, the, the bias is, is that there's only a very 1 or 2 percent uh, innovation rate. And that's actually all that you want. In most of these large systems where you're trying to have innovation and adaption, you actually don't want a high rate of mutation. You want you want to have a conservative thing that, that will work yeah. most, most of the time. And so... And so yeah. but, but it depends, yeah. Inflation is a system to recreate itself. Because human view is nearly very vertical connected. Human, once you have a string of
0: influenza. It will be 30 years before you possibly be infected with that strain of influenza. So, if influenza wants to exist,
2: mm-hmm.
0: it has to find a way shift. And assist, to persist and assist in a yeah. system. So, t- taking into account the birth rate, geography, That's which is right. changing as a result of a,
7: a travel, right. and so influenza had you know, had to find a way to deal with the fact that you have perfect community, and therefore. It, it
2: involves a shitty
1: proofreading system
7: for, for genetic conversion, but not throughout the genome. So, not through the polymerase. polymerase, only in the locations of the human base exactly. and the that, Exactly That's my point,
0: system. is that most of it's not changing,
7: just a very small percent is changing. Actually, it's a lot by the of the weight. What's, what's right. the percentage? I don't know. That's the question. It's, it's probably the by the way
0: weight because there's a lot of stuff out there. But the, the machine, the gears, not many of the gears, a lot of exactly. I'm intrigued by your premise to say if influencer wants to persist. And um, what I realize is the things that persist have that quality of that that they want to persist. We can do them and imagine kind of through their logic. Well yeah, I know teleology. This is something different than teleology. The things that persist have persisted because they're full body. It is similar to that we are the children of a long line of successes and sex and in order to reproduce. And so, in a sense, you're correct in saying influence of wants to persist because that's an insistent statement about how God is the way it is. I haven't heard any really of those okay. facts. Yeah,
5: we have retributed
0: tension here. I'm explaining. Well
4: it's a description
0: of a very expensive behavior for the organism to, to, to,
3: to, so to, to destroy away products products and so it
0: can persist. And mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about companies. You're, you're about to do a book about managing the long term. And one of the things that all corporations, not all corporations want to get rid of is that profits are a byproduct of the thing they really care about, is persistence. And yet, they're doing a lot. You know, That's just a very strange situation. Yeah, but maybe the part of the, the thing that does persist is the market, which persists by making sure that corporations last year. now. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, I'm what is more, more short-term
6: thinking than a career? What is more short-term thinking than a career? So let's say if you're a career person, you're going to work somewhere for twenty-five years. It's a 25-year pin. I can tell you right now, people don't work in places more than two to four years on average. So why is a corporation a really bad place for long-term thinking? Well, people are thinking about, how does this get me to my next job for promotion in the next place? Why am I buying house? And so they're not incentive to think long-term for corporations at all in most cases. And it's very few corporations that think of a long-term, you know, for instance, like Sam Walton, when he devised Walmart and came up with that strategy. Very few corporations exist like this, and the ones that do, in many cases, are in isolated areas where they're the only thing going. Like, mm-hmm. for instance, mm-hmm. that little The on. role of isolated areas, right
0: there.
2: Yeah.
6: yeah, but you know, I tell you one thing that this this discussion struck something in me tonight. You know, if you if you take a look at things like the Bohemian Club or the Pacific Union Club, or you know, the Trilateral Commission, or these other shadow organizations that basically run the world, or are very influential about you know political decisions made. That's what they want to do.
2: Uh, they want
6: you to believe that, but you know, a lot of deals are cut in those places, a lot of money gets spread. No. You know, the, the point I want you to make is, is this... What are you going to say about these seminars? Well, you know what? <laughs> That's my whole point. I think that it's very important that, you know, that, you know if you take a look at the internet, has spawned a lot of subcultures. And there are a lot of subcultures that have come together as a result of, you know, affinity and, and a shared view like, the law of the long view, for instance. But I think this is really important. Um, I think it's very important that people that have a like right view of long-term thinking, but not necessarily agree on all the ends and outcomes, have a way of engaging in this dialogue and pushing it through a political system. And Otherwise, that's going to do everything in its power to defeat it. You know, that.
0: actually, I'd love to get some more political stuff, Would you feel better about this going of wrap-up. Before we do that, I would love to hear from Anders and David Rumsey. Although haven't said anything to me, but I'll bet i thinking all sorts of things. I've I've been enjoying listening. (laughs) Um, I I, I, I
5: just really, this is not an area that I really uh, uh, deal with, although I I was in real estate (laughs) for a long time. Um, I'm good at it. I guess I wonder about the evolution of ideas, Peter, when you were, you were sort of treating ideas almost as if they had a life of their own, oh, just a, and I often see things yeah, does that. you know, I guess it's, my, I have this historical, so communism to me, I now see, having grown up with it and each really, I could almost see it as a benign force yeah. that is logical, that, mm-hmm. that in Russia and China, Dissolve a certain property ownership system, approve them to the state, and then eventually create conditions for a market economy. So I don't, you know, I tend to see this start of continuing. And I wonder how that, how, I didn't hear that in your thinking. I tend to see your sort of things in opposition. Anyway. That's
1: that's a nice more so. yeah. yeah. The answer is yes, I do yeah. see it that way. As I mean, a continuity. I, well, I mean, the, the, the world mm-hmm. is continuous in some sense, fundamentally, I mean. so the, 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 the Russian people of today are in many ways the Russian people who were living under communism. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I had an aunt, uh, I'm on the area, uh, and I had an aunt who died not long ago in, in the who had been a Stalinist in the 30s, and was deeply distressed by the collapse of communism, you know, and you know thought this was a huge step backwards, and was you know, and swore that one day they would come back. You know, um, well, for her it was a great loss, it was, you know, the, the ideology that gave meaning and purpose to her life, that organized her society. You know, she was work even when she died. She was working in programs for treating the elderly and so on in, in the remnants of the Communist Party in Hungary. But for her. There was a continuity, but a death as well. Mm-hmm. Um, she saw this as a loss, not a gain. Mm-hmm. I lived in the socialist of economy for all the US Army. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, by the way, this aunt also had the experience. I brought she came to the United States, I remember so well, in 1967 on her second visit with her her, her husband, and my uncle, and I took her to a supermarket. She wanted to cook something in my mother's in house one day. Uh, and she wanted to cook something. I took her to the supermarket, she wanted mustard. Mustard. And we arrived at the wall of mustards. <laughs> and she literally broke down sobbing in the aisle. I said, you know, I, I, it, 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 it why? Up. What's this all about? You know, why do you need honey, nut mustard, raspberry mustard? Mustard's mustard! mustard. What, what's that? And she literally foaming and gibbering at the mouth at what was going on here. Why do we have all these mustards? And we could not cope with the choice. And, and why this was really one of the stupidest things she'd ever seen. Why there were 200 kinds of mustards
7: on the shelf. Welcome to the future
1: <laughs> that we're all <laughs> pushing here. Up. Lots of
7: options, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. This doesn't sound all that attractive, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there's actually a great paper by and Barry Schwartz called the Tyranny of Choice. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has a book coming out the next month called Parasite Choice, which is exploring this very idea that there's toxic choice. Interesting. That yeah. perilous. That, that 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 after beyond a certain point that increasing options basically become toxic and lots of corporations, the uh, consumer you know, are in the same thing is they have too many choices, they cut them back and they increase their sales by having less choice. Yeah, well if you're gonna be pushing on more options this is the desirable yeah,
0: future. Well. Anders, what do you have uh, to say uh, about that? Months.
4: I think we've touched a lot of uh, various uh, subjects, speed of innovation. you know, good ideas, bad ideas, and so on. A lot of these things depend on the frame of reference one has, in a way. You know, a hundred years ago, people said they closed down the candle, because everything was invented. And, uh, you know, I live in a world where it's about anticipating the future. I was kind of uh, intrigued that the definition of the future is what we uh, think it is and uh, I was kind of thinking that in reality the future might coexist with our presence as yeah. well, you know, and uh, that, that does not really jive with the other definition, um, you know, time is dependent on gravity and that's all well. people speculating and we can create Enough gravity, you can bend time and jump through and create time too. But uh, that's not possible if we believe future is what we think uh, it is. <laughs> it, 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 there are two different models: time machine going back in time or going forward.
1: Mm-hmm. The backward machine may be possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the forward one sounds
0: more possible. Mm-hmm. In the sense of you stop yourself and wake up. Right. Yeah.
2: I I'm just going to enjoy the
0: conversation with What interests me is how much biotech is a thing. So the example of can idea of the human it all just used to be computer technology listening to such like this. We careful, not care for you invite you. I'm sorry? You have to be careful of you invite Well, that's obviously... But that's also
1: the where there's a lot of intellectual juice right now. The, 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 the intellectual juice in conventional computer science is not very high at the moment.
4: <laughs> yeah, right,
1: yeah.
0: I did not selectively invite biotech. because You guys are inviting each other <laughs> I did selectively invite information technology because uh, that was often the people who already knew where you couldn't know So I think we're seeing the working here, which is itself all I like did That said, next meeting in January, January 8th, the second period, is George Dyson. Uh, his thought is <coughs> plenty of room at the top, which is a uh, play on Richard Feynman's uh, famous lecture, plenty of room, the is of technology. The top he's talking about is the use of very large-scale computing both that we have now, and, and others, it's getting larger and harder. In the sense, it's getting way larger soon. But so far, it's been focused on basically managing things that are shorter and shorter in time. they can focused around things like uh, really analyzing nuclear explosions down to the peak of a second and so on. Um, that's fine, but he thinks that the real power of large-scale computing is going to be in very long-term matter. And so the little oscillates between long-term uh, thinking about large-scale computing and long-term thinking with large-scale computing. And like Peter, George is uh, you know, doing a whole bunch of new thinking for this group of this time. Uh,
1: if you haven't read his last book, Project Orion, it's worth reading. Uh, if you're interested in the history of technology and ideas. Uh, and it's an, a, an idea that sounded like a bad idea, about halfway through the book became a good idea, mm-hmm. and I'm no longer sure, right. Right? which is the idea of building an atomic bomb-powered rocket to go to Saturn, to take 300 people to Saturn. We DARPA project number one. Mm-hmm. He, he, he actually has a picture of the contract of DARPA, uh, the very first DARPA project. Um,
0: it's actually an interesting case in terms of what we've been talking about this evening of ideas that had a whole lot of business going with them and went very far along and huge money and things in the desert and so on. And then basically disappeared from here. George hadn't gone and done the scholarship because his father was in it would basically be lost to history. Then are you saying that people will come in. The
3: oh, Mariah? Okay, some,
0: some something like Orion. The
3: only way we're seriously going to get off the board.
1: And this sounds like a really bad idea for you book. And it, it's a and it's a fun book. Uh, and, and and you talked to George and Esther about it. Of course, they were they were being told by Daddy we're all going like to Saturn. The, the idea was to take 300 people to and uh, instead of a colony on on moon. I so run.
7: Peter, Peter in the 60s, right? Late, late, 50s, late 50s, early 60s. Late 50s, and early 60s. Peter, one more question for you. Is there anything else that we can tell you to help you tomorrow? Well, you've already given me lots of uh,
1: ideas and, uh, that I've already taken notes on. So thank you. Thank you all. I think right. We're mm-hmm.
0: really great. How about one question? Uh, sure. of logistics? Yes. Well, yeah, thank you, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another yeah. matter: question yeah. is thank suggestions you. on improving these meetings in terms of here or everything from lighting like to food to tiny. Um, yeah. For for the group we'll
6: yeah. or if yeah. sure. you want to talk for us? feel free. It's a
2: funny
5: time. It's it's seven seven to There's no time for dinner, really. not have time to get they there, so a yeah. little yeah. yeah. I thought yeah. the coffee, so everyone stayed at work, the yeah. conversations are yeah. good enough for last was, a glass of wine was supported. her. On. On. I didn't even agree. Yeah. Okay. You got <laughs> some more. Eric really you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. made those corrections, and did the deal.
6: And there's still some good sandwiches out there, cheese, vegetable yeah. yeah. meals, and yeah. yeah. You know what, if you get the future, if you start to so get future, board, but, well, it's relatively important. So, what, what is the part of the future as, as it relates to human potential? And really, it's a really good book. And that's something that's never been answered ever before. Maybe writing, maybe I haven't read
2: enough. But I don't really think it's like a social science.